0: Relevant Magazine and relevantmagazine.com. It's the relevant podcast.
1: And hold back, don't make no plans.
2: And don't talk, don't say no words. And be still. Now move like this. And hold
3: on until it kiss.
4: It's the week of Friday, February twenty sixth, twenty ten, and this is the relevant podcast. I'm Cameron Strang, and I always have a hard time saying February. If you if you say it correctly with the R in the right, right place,
3: it's February. That's because it's the worst month. Yes. Yeah.
4: Yes. Uh, uh, joining me here in our Orlando, Florida studios is uh, Josh Lovelace. Hey, people. Uh, back from vacation, again. Yes. Ryan Ham. Hi, everyone. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey.
5: Yo, yo. Oh, please.
4: (laughs) Manning the ones and twos behind the wall of glass, Chad Michael Snavely. Say something. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) He He was caught off guard. He really has become Carl Pilkington quickly. (laughs) And, And joining us late for the podcast will be Maya Strang. I just called her... A minute ago And uh, said Hey where are you And she said Oh the baby's sleeping And uh, I'll wake him up See that <laughs> That's how uh, How dedicated she is To you people She's waking up Sleeping babies Which means if we have A crying baby For the rest of the time It's your fault <laughs> Yeah Thanks
6: a lot <laughs> Yeah thanks people. a lot Listeners <laughs>
4: <laughs> Alright we have A jam podcast for you today. I know I say that every time, but have I ever lied to you? No. It's always jam-packed if I say it. We have a interview and spotlight coming up later with indie folk group The Bowerbirds. Very cool. And later, we have an interview with writer-director Jeb Stewart. Who's Jeb Stewart, you say? Well, right now, his new film, Blood Done Sign My Name, is coming out, and, and Josh talks to him about that. But he is also the writer and producer of The Fugitive and Die Hard. That's awesome. It's pretty amazing. Wow. It
7: was great talking to him. I, I, I really... I mean, the film is interesting itself, but talking to him and just going, this is the guy who wrote the line... I didn't kill my wife. And
3: yippee right.
7: right. I yeah, mean yeah, yeah, I was going to say that's the line you picked. Yeah.
3: Yeah, come Now on. I have a machine gun? Ho ho ho.
7: Yeah, I mean this guy has has found a way to use words in such a poetic form, <laughs> especially,
3: especially when done by
4: Bruce Willis. Yeah. And as we as we know by the new movie cop out, Bruce Bruce Willis is a poet apparently. A gentleman. <laughs> Before um, <laughs> all that, all right. We got entertainment releases uh, coming out. Music coming out on Tuesday, March 2nd. We got a few here. Lifehouse is coming out with Smoke and Mirrors. Which makes the fifth consecutive time they've
3: released the same album.
4: <laughs> oh. Pocket Full of Rocks is coming out with More Than Noise, but not much more. And Almost Alice, which is music inspired by the film Alice in Wonderland. So it's it's Owl City, Plain White Tees, Franz Ferdinand, Wolf Mother, The Be Giants, and some other ones. So. Could be a good, I mean, it looks like an amazing film. Yeah. So, um, movies coming out on Friday, March fifth. Uh, we have guess what? Alice in Wonderland. Yes. Johnny Depp, Anne Hathaway, Tim Burton directs. Um, tune in to Relevance website on that day, March fifth, because we have an interview with Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. Yeah. That we will be running. Uh, also coming out, Brooklyn's Finest, which looks fantastic. Richard Gere, Don Cheadle, Ethan Hawke, Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes is in it simply to pay off his tax debts.
6: <laughs> it's part of his I, I, Was release, anyone so. else a
5: little surprised when, you, when they saw Wesley Snipes in a movie that's not about vampires and not straight to DVD? And not about <laughs>
3: basketball. What, in about, the 90s. Yeah. what about Passenger 57? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, well,
5: this uh, I forgot action about that. Right. That's basically film. the diehard of Wesley Snipes <laughs> movies.
4: Yeah. Yeah, this is just part of his work release um, from <laughs> Tax Joe. All right. Well, that'll do it for entertainment releases. Up next, we are switching it up. The Bowerbirds and then Slices. Stay tuned. Uh,
0: can
8: we agree? If I don't judge you, then you won't judge me. Let's be free. Let's be free. Let's be free.
0: I want to say thanks to so many of you who have subscribed to our magazine here over the last uh, few months, as many of you know. Uh, We've been partnering with World Vision and their relief efforts in Haiti. Half of every uh, relevant subscription dollar that's come in, we have sent to World Vision's relief efforts in Haiti. We want you to know that this is the last week uh, that we're going to be doing that. So if you haven't had a chance to go over and subscribe to our magazine, be sure to do so today. Go over to relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. Half of all of your subscription dollars will go to World Vision's relief efforts in Haiti.
4: You're listening to Castle Door. The song is free, though you shouldn't get it for free. You should pay for it. It's playing right now on Relevant.fm. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Holy Ghost. The song is Hold On. It's also playing right now off Relevant FM. It's from their EP, Hold On, available at iTunes. Um, interesting story about Castle Door. I, I was in Los Angeles this last week, and we were invited to go to the Lakers-Celtics game. Mm-hmm. And there was a group of us there, and, you know, hanging out and stuff. It wasn't in the regular seats. It was in like in a suite. And uh, we were watching the game. Maya and I were very much into it. Colin was asleep on the floor. And um, another couple comes up and uh, who was part of the group and was kind of watching it with us. We invited them to sit down. And it was Rick Cole and his wife, uh, pastors of a large church in Sacramento. We get talking. They know Relevant. They're you know talking to us and stuff and find out that their son is in Castledore, hmm. the group in L.A. So we're talking, and they said that their son's in a group in LA, and you know this indie group uh, getting a lot of buzz. And I'm like, yeah, everybody's getting a lot of buzz. But no, they were on the cover of LA Weekly mm-hmm. as like the group to watch. That's cool, and all this stuff. And I'm like, really? That's I mean, that's amazing. And they said the name Castledore. It's like I don't know Castledore. We're playing the song on Relevant FM. Really? Oh yeah. The story. Do you know the story of Castledore? It's like no. Well, apparently their son and the other lead guy in Castledore were in a group. Uh, a Christian boy band group called Plus One. No. In the late 90s. Plus One. (laughs) Plus One. When Plus One uh, finished, you know, they moved back home and stuff and started up another group. They moved down to LA. They got married. So it's them, their wives, and two other guys. And they're playing all the clubs. They're playing all the stuff. It's this really great sound. You just heard it. I mean, it's a really cool group. And uh, so they're like, yeah, what's interesting is, you know, they've been doing this. They've been doing Castle for two and a half years. And uh, actually tonight, I mean, the dad kept, Rick kept checking his cell phone. Uh-huh. Tonight, they're having a meeting, a band meeting, because, you know, one of the founding partners, not their son, the other guy, had said, listen, guys, I mean, it's been two and a half years. If we were going to make it, if we we're going to get signed. It would have happened by now. They had a bunch of deals almost happen, fall through. Everybody's really committed to, to the group, but this guy's kind of seemingly losing interest. So they had kind of a come-to-Jesus meeting mm-hmm. to see like what was going on with the group, and they ended up breaking up that night. So Castle Door- Wow. A week ago, Thursday broke up. <laughs> then uh, uh, they had a show on Monday, and I'm watching Twitter. We were still in town. And a guy that I happen to be following on Twitter is like, Hey, I'm going to the finale farewell Door show at whatever venue tonight, you know, whatever. And said how great it was, how sad it was. And they ended up breaking up like right there on one weekend. Wow. So, wow. so wow. do you think it's because
0: they wanted to get back together as Plus One? <laughs> I think so.
4: Well, that's where the money was.
0: You know? Yeah. <laughs> so.
8: Weren't we in an elevator with Plus One? Remember?
3: Toby
4: Mack? Did they snub you?
8: No. Well...
4: Oh, okay. One more story from my trip. Okay, <laughs> oh, geez. So we're at oh. dinner, at a really good <laughs> dinner, right? A really nice dinner, and I'm at a table with um, Kevin Palau, the president of the, of the Luis Palau Evangelistic Association, son of Luis Palau, and his son, and, uh, and, and really cool guys, and we're talking and stuff, and, and at the table a few feet away... I see John Tesh. Oh, that was so
7: exciting! Oh, was yes. he playing
4: the piano? <clears throat> no, he was just glowing. Oh, I didn't
7: know he, if he was, was in, picking up an extra gig. He was
8: in the same party as we were. Man, yeah. wow! So that's how high rolling table, we are.
4: Though. I'm in a, I'm at a party with John Tesh. Thank you the very much. The best
3: part of John Tesh, I have to say, is that part in the NBA theme song video when he plays his answering machine and it's like him laying down that bass track and he's like, so you can hear the answer machine and I'm like, but
4: it's awesome. Hey, Chad, play us a sample of the NBA on NBC. Uh, hold on, hold song. on. Wait, wait, wait. Maya used to dance to this song, right?
2: <laughs>
5: yeah. yes. it, it, and yeah. it, a long time listeners know I get extremely pumped when there's any type of jock jam. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
7: All right, Chad, now you can play yeah. it.
4: Okay, so you know now what John Tesh has done. It's not just the weird Yanni stuff and the Red Rocks and all that. No, he wrote that theme song, an iconic anthem for our generation. It's, is, what, it's
5: one of the greatest songs in the American catalog
4: I really agree. of music. It's, he's a national treasure, as we all know. Well, I only have one John Tesh story, and it was several years ago when I walked into the mall in Atlanta and I walked into the mall, and I saw John Tesh standing there. And I'm telling you, a ray of light was beaming on his head. <laughs> he looked like an Adonis, a man, a, you know, a god among men. He, he stands a, a good two feet above every other man in the <laughs> yeah, room. I tall. mean, he's he's amazing. His glowing Goldilock hair—it's just unbelievable. It was just—he's like, nine and a half feet tall, and he's 500 pounds.
5: Of <laughs> basically, basically, he's the <laughs> he's Goliath.
4: Yes, except except awesome. He came late, and I knew when he had entered the room, even though my back was turned,
5: because <laughs> you could hear like music playing, and no one was
7: playing
4: music. It was Walk- the NBA on it. It was NBC just very, theme song. <laughs>
3: very softly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
7: And he released a handful of dubs. <laughs> when he walked into the room. <laughs> so, I mean, he
3: didn't release them; they just fly out of his pockets. Yeah, they did, yeah. <laughs> like Job from Rosa Development. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah, So anyway, I'm like, hey, oh, that's kind of funny. Like John Tesh is there, you know, and when I saw him in that mall. That was the mall where Toby Max snubbed me for the third time. Right. Okay. So I tell them the whole story. They're like, Toby Max snubbed you? And I, yeah, I tell them the whole story that you podcast listeners have heard a number of times how Toby (laughs) Max snubbed me in sequential uh, meetings over the course of about two months in like 2003. So anyway, uh, I tell them this whole story and they're like laughing and whatever. And then they end it by going, you know, uh, Toby Max related to us. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! Through marriage, through his, the brother and the sister of somebody,
8: his wife's sister is married to Toby Mac. Okay, so it's like uncle. Yeah, Toby. uncle Toby. Okay. And, Pretty close. Uh,
4: so so Kevin I think he prefers Uncle T Mac. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he texts him. <laughs> Guess who I'm having dinner with? <laughs> and oh, uh, no. and Toby apparently texted back, uh, tell Cameron. That seventy-eight thousand copies opening week is relevant.
8: He did not. I <laughs> missed that part.
4: <laughs> He's told me that in the elevator later. <gasps> Do you think he heard the thing no.
2: that you said a few
4: weeks ago
7: when we we had an entertainment release? It was Toby Mac's thing, and
2: you remember what I said? You,
7: it was like a one-word comment. You just said really. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Chad. I think it actually <laughs> it is really referencing
7: that. that because I think then we found out later that he says he's actually a fan. Do you remember? Well, Miss yeah, fans. yeah,
4: on the iTunes uh, launch week for Toby Mac, there was a Toby Mac page on the iTunes Store, yeah. and he selects all his favorite music and all this stuff, and under podcasts where is the relevant podcast and I'm like
8: oh <laughs> crap a
4: number of concerned readers alerted me to this yeah like guys be careful um so anyway
3: so hey if we can use our power to levy a DC talk comeback tour I'm all for it plus one <laughs> I mean if Sonic youth can rejoin and play through their classic albums from the 80s and public enemies playing it takes a nation of millions like DC talk can rejoin and perform friggin Jesus freak that's true well, that's what I'm saying. They'll, they'll get plus one to open for them. Exactly. It would be awesome. I would go.
4: Okay. On Twitter right now, somebody just replied to me. and says, um, I don't want it is playing on Relevant FM right now. I, th- <laughs> I, I thought you were kidding about that on the podcast. No, folks. We added I don't want that's it to awesome. the Relevant FM playlist. Uh, funny
3: funny story. I played that at a wedding this summer when I was DJing. <laughs> <laughs> people, weren't sh- people weren't sure what to do. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Wait, you DJed a wedding? i mean dj'd i like made an itunes playlist and like re- well the only actual djing i did was i mashed up a sandy patty song with a kanye song <laughs> yeah do you have a copy of that yes that's unbelievable yeah it's called love
4: in kanye language that's amazing so all that to say the bowerbirds <laughs>
8: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what?
4: Uh, Castledore. Castledore broke up. Enjoy their music. It's unrelevant of him right now or they're breaking up or something. For the time being, you can check out myspace.com slash music. Okay, the Bowerbirds. Um, the two members of the Bowerbirds currently reside in an Airstream trailer on the outskirts of Raleigh, North Carolina on a quiet plot of land that's completely off the grid. The songs could be written underneath a moonlit sky Joyously sung around the campfire And perform without the use of any electric amplification The music is pure, spiritual, and perfectly unrefined Are we still talking about John Tesh? <laughs> and with each song, Bowerbirds remind us that we humans Are part of something larger than our culture Larger than humanity Something beautiful and sacred You can check them out at bowerbirds.org Or on MySpace slash Bowerbirds Here is Elise interviewing the Bowerbirds
2: I don't need from you a waterfall of careless praise, and I don't need a trophy for all the games
9: i play. played.
2: All right, I'm Phil, and I play the guitar
9: and sing. Um, I'm Beth, I play the accordion and keyboard and sing.
1: Okay, and this is Elise, and I'm here with Relevant Magazine talking with the Bowerbirds. So, first of all, what is a bowerbird?
2: Okay, so a bowerbird is an Australian, New Zealand, New Guinea uh, native bird that builds these amazing, elaborate bowers that um, to attract the female sex to their bowers in their homes and they're like these just like interior decorators basically that are kind of amazing you never really see something like that in the in the wild as much you know it's like I don't know, pretty awesome but
1: <laughs> so it's it's all about the ladies apparently yeah. for the bower birds exactly. okay and how did you guys get together
2: well i built this amazing bower and <laughs> just kidding uh we actually met at whole foods we worked um together i worked slinging salads in the salad department and Beth worked in the whole body department. We were taking out the trash one day and I asked her out by the dumpster.
9: So that's how we we started dating but our band got together like a couple um, after we've been together as a couple for like a year and a half or something about a year. We lived out in the country in South Carolina. He got a job as a bird watcher like following birds and we moved out there and he started writing. He recently um, or I guess not yet, but he was playing in another band and he was writing music that they didn't think fit in. So he started writing this new music and I started to accompany him.
1: And I know um, that you, Beth, you paint and other visual arts and things like that and that you guys had a web design company. And I was just wondering how, like, what is your perspective on art and how do you feel like your music and other arts that you're involved in, how do they inspire each other and is there any relation between those?
9: Yeah, I think, well, I think we did the web design as just a way to make money so that we could do our other art forms. We liked it doing it too, but not really compared to music and painting and stuff, because that's like, we have complete control over those. Then with web design, you're kind of trying to express someone else's ideas the best way you can, like try to see what their essence is and express that for them. Um, And then I guess with the visual art and the music, we, Phil and I just like, Talk to each other all the time and have like we work out ideas together and then so then things that we've been talking about will come out in my art or in his music and then while I'm working on art he'll look at something I'm working on and be like oh this is good or we give each other both feedback so I think it's like um, I don't know they just sort of come from like the same place I think but then I'm more of a visual person it feels more of a musical person. Oh, 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 oh.
1: And a lot of people describe your music as folk, and typically that genre is associated with having a specific statement and a purpose to your music. And what would Bowerbird's statement be through your music?
2: Um, I'm not sure there is one statement, especially especially now. I think the music has like evolved and changed over time um, to where you know <clears throat> now it's just kind of just like, create, you know, general creative expression and...
9: It's not really like we're trying to make a point for people, you know, it's more just like expressing how what we do and what, how we feel about the world, you know, and so I think it's maybe just there's ideas about, like, DIY mentality, like sort of taking charge of your own life and you, you're already, like, free to do what you want and to live, you know, we're, we're sort of trapped in a way in, in, like, a system, but you can, like, find ways to live the way you want and you don't have to be part of something that you don't believe in and and also things about the environment like we're our culture this big culture all over the earth is kind of we're just kind of making it so it's I guess our first album talked a lot about ideas that it's not completely unsustainable the way we're living and it's just really scary to to us like how fragile it is and how easy we could lose it all and so it's like the earth is going to go on no matter what happens, and there'll be other animals and things, but we're just kind of ruining everything that's really beautiful, because we're not even going to be able to have human societies if we just keep living. So it's like there's a lot of us being like really sad and afraid about that, but also really hopeful and trying to be like, well, what can we do with our lives? And we think about that stuff all the time, and I think we just have a lot of love for the natural world yeah, and feel like want to be more connected to that, and so I think that fills lyrics, a lot of that stuff comes out. comes through. comes through in the music.
2: Bright future, bright pink, bright light in my eyes. Oh, this desert city's
1: giant heart. Um, So, was there anything different or special about recording your most recent album, Upper Air?
2: Yeah, it was. uh, It was kind of done done differently the songs were written not in the like part half half on tour or between tours i should say between tours and not with a lot of like um extra spare time basically so all the songs were written kind of um like piece by piece and then recorded piece by piece too and um in like a positive way just you know in kind of like in in that we um we uh, got to do new things with the recordings and like layered on top of the songs and kept them minimal at the same time but added marimba and and um, it was kind of it it was fun but the first album we we recorded just wrote the songs wrote the parts and recorded live so there's something to be said for both of those methods but like it was it was pretty fun to kind of just do something new and different and make it sound large and different <laughs> oh yes
9: um but also i was just gonna say one thing that was funny like when we were working on the second album phil got really obsessed with the idea of having a marimba and we didn't have we were looking at how much they were on craigslist and ebay and they were like five thousand dollars and stuff we were just like uh can't buy a marimba and then he just decided to make one so <laughs> he just like bought all the um the little wood we went to this wood place like where they have really nice woods like super thick yeah. woods from wherever and he got these really nice wood and then sand it like with a hand sandpaper just like sanded each one down cut them to size and then sanded them and would be like bong bong you have to like use a little um, thing to like here it's, it's just I have double two resonances so he was just like bong them until they and almost all the keys well, some of them came out a little bit where you didn't get both resonances but um, anyway that took like Bill got carpal tunnel no tennis elbow from standing. <laughs> My
8: car.
1: And my final question. I read that you guys live in an Airstream trailer. And I was wondering how long you've been doing that. Maybe why you chose to. And, you know, pros and cons of living there.
2: Cons, it's very small. Teeny little place. It's like a little bit bigger than this minivan, basically. I mean, it's, it's quite a bit bigger. But it doesn't feel like that when you have the two of us, like, every single day and a dog. But the pros are that we just kind of live we bought some land and just pulled our trailer out there and set it down and now we just kind of live for free basically and this is really nice to to have that freedom and then we're outdoors um, all the time so we get to like just you know when we walk outdoors it's just our land so it's not a big deal
9: we're building a cabin and that was like we bought we had this idea like to build a cabin and then we well it was right when we recorded him for a dark horse we went ahead and we're trying to figure out what to do with ourselves and knew we're going to be touring a lot and it would be better to like instead of like buying a house or renting a house where we'd have a lot of rent to pay and we weren't sure we'd be able to we just like bought this like cheap land out in the country and the Airstream was only $900, which is really cheap, and just put it there. And then um, it was pretty cool because we would come in from tour and just, like, not have to worry about it. Except for it was, like, we didn't have running water for like, two years. So that was, like, kind of... And it would go down to 11 degrees inside the Airstream. When, like, one time, it like, the dog's water bowl would freeze solid. But it was totally... It was, like, well, we could either live in luxury in, like, an apartment and then have to work full-time at some job while we... You know, or what would we do? Because we wouldn't go to tour as much. And so then, but we're also building a little cabin that we we're getting like recycled materials. So it's about like it's like our little dream life where we'll once we build the cabin because we're building it all from like really cheap stuff. So we won't have any. We'll just have property tax to pay, yeah. we won't have to pay like mortgage. So that's our plan. So we can always do whatever, work part time at jobs if we have to, but not full time. And we'll know.
2: this hard
4: That was the Bowerbirds. Check them out at bowerbirds.org. you are listening to Jets Overhead. They're very loud. Uh, the song is Put Your Hands Up, playing right now on relevant.fm from their album No Nations. Maya just put her hands up. I, I like how obedient you are to Jets Overhead. That's great. Um,
8: I'm obedient to songs that tell you to do things. Yeah.
4: Well don't listen to any R. Kelly. <laughs>
7: I have to give a slow clap. That was that was well done. That was well done. And and yeah, lunch just in the show right there. <laughs> even if even even if I had thought of it, I mean, only the husband yeah. could, could yeah. ever say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. All right, it's time for slices. Take it, Jesse. Uh,
5: so, an 18-year-old uh, in a, in a town outside of New York was arrested and is being held without bond right now for a very strange crime. Does anyone want to venture a guess?
8: Mm-hmm. Um, his <laughs> jeans were too tight in public?
5: <laughs> Possibly, but that's not what he was arrested for. Okay, so his crime was he was breakdancing. Apparently this guy showed up uh, at a friend's house party and he had on a sweet diamond studded uh, belt buckle and just started <laughs> breakdancing the night away. Uh, well, the house had hardwood floors, and when the when the person's parents came home, oh. the floors were destroyed because of his awesome dance moves. <laughs> and they called the police, and now <laughs> he was arrested with a uh, criminal mischief, which is a felony trespassing. And uh, a couple other crimes related to the breakdancing. Also awesome. not in the story, but I think all, what also happened is he got on the couch, the <laughs> white couch with his muddy
4: boots, mm-hmm. and just started grinding that thing away. <laughs> I mean, that would be like a belt sander. I mean, yeah. a diamond-tipped belt sander. Yeah. If you're yeah. twisting and I'm flipping. sure they weren't real diamonds. Did, did he not know that there's a reason why they do it on cardboard?
5: apparently not I mean
7: uh, he thought that was for he, poor people
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's He's not fancy. for guys that wear diamond
3: studded belts <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny oh man oh. It, so- it sounds like the plot for Flashdance yeah it's the beginning of it Cause I could picture Wait, him. What? That's how it starts. No, never I don't seen know. It. I don't. I just know the s- storyline. That's the one with Kevin Bacon, right? Where they're like not allowed to yeah. dance. Yeah, no,
8: that's um. Or is that dirty Footloose. Footloose.
3: footloose. That's what yeah. I was thinking. There's of. so
8: many to choose. From. I know.
3: There's so many. Did 80s you say dirty
4: dancing? dancing? I don't. I've
3: never. I don't seen want to see either. Kevin Bacon and dirty dancing. I've <laughs> never <laughs> seen <laughs> <laughs> dirty dancing. Either. I haven't either.
8: Yeah. You haven't?
4: No, no. I
8: haven't. I don't seen listen to
4: R. Kelly songs.
3: I've just. Have you seen it? Uh Yeah. I knew you had. You not said anything. Footloose. loose. is what I was thinking. of. And I'm just. I'm picturing him like. Is that? that the one with don't put baby in a corner? Yes.
8: No, that's, that's that dirty See? dirty <laughs> dancing. <laughs> all
3: mixed up, dirty dancing.
8: That's dirty dancing. All these
3: 80s <laughs> dance movies.
5: Well there's there's a scene in Footloose where like Kevin Bacon is like the bad gangster in town, you know, and uh you know all the girl's parents like stay away from him and one night he just like he's like i'm fed up with this and he like he runs dancing to like an old abandoned warehouse yeah and just like dances you know (laughs) like this is how bad and dangerous i am look out old docking yard i'm dancing and he just dances. And like just covered in sweat, you know, like what the simpler times, you know, when we worried about the bad kids dancing. Little known,
3: little known fact Jeb Stewart originally put that as the villain from Die Hard. Nice,
5: nice, nice. Bruce Willis, yeah, was originally called in to stop a dance party.
7: They're dancing. No, there's hardwood floors, use cardboard. Go for it. So
5: that's
3: the slice.
9: <laughs> that a good transition. <laughs> that was great.
3: All right. Um, my slice is not quite as zany, but. Um, a little more... A well, little we can t- skip it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's a little timely to related to what we were talking about with entertainment releases, because as you all know, um, Alice in Wonderland comes out March 5th in the theaters. Um, and, you know, there's been tons of build-up for this, obviously, like, they've been advertising it forever. Like, if you've gone to Disney in the last three months or six months, like, there's posters for it everywhere, and um, one of the things that Disney is doing, because apparently, well, obviously, Disney's very market-savvy, Um, instead of partnering with, you know, sort of some of their normal merchants who might sell like freely princess dresses and stuff. Are they partnering with Snoop Dogg's album Malice in Wonderland?
8: (laughs) Sadly, (laughs) they are
3: not. Okay. All right. But they are partnering in like endorsement or in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like accessories and, you know, movie tie-in products. They're partnering with Hot Topic. Mm. So because it's Tim Burton movie, it's got Johnny Depp in it. So, the Wall Street Journal today was speculating as to whether all these, you know, little tween girls who normally put on pink and wear frilly dresses will somehow just become completely goth. <laughs> I think it's the same outfit.
7: You just take a pair of scissors to it. Yeah. and Just shred it up. Well, and
3: yeah. then you've got, and then you take something cute, like that little bunny. Yeah. That, like, makes sarcastic comments. Yeah. So, you just take something that was sort of, you know, cute and innocent and then twist it into something dark and evil. Yeah. Give it creepy button eyes or something. <laughs> put on a t-shirt <laughs> that's basically every tim burton movie ever yeah
8: what is that rated because it looks a little f- f- i think freaky. it's just pg really yeah um so apparently Peta. we all know pita they delicious look, delicious um apparently they are looking for a advertiser to p- in uh, the windermere area to put up a billboard um having to do with tiger woods
5: Is is PETA aware that Tiger Woods is not an actual tiger? (laughs) I'm not sure.
7: Because otherwise, this would make perfect sense. They just they just saw something come across the wire, and they're like, "That tiger! It's like Tiger Woods (laughs) harassed." And they're like, "No, I know, killer of all joy, killer of all joy." The PETA people.
8: So they're looking to put this up on a billboard in the Windermere area, which is where he's from, and just down the road from here here is what the um billboard is going to say too much sex can be a bad thing for little tigers too S- help keep your cats and dogs out of trouble always spay or neuter wow Yikes.
7: oh my word yeah wow well, i guess with Oops. uh with uh what's his name uh bob barker ra- yes with oh. bob barker off the air for a while i guess no one's really carried that torch yeah man oh man it's a
8: mi- yeah and they're gonna put it right where he's you know We'll drive by it if he leaves. His right, house. right where
7: his children go to school.
8: Yeah,
7: little tigers that they are. <laughs> yeah, that's like he's got two kids, right? So those are the, yeah. those are the baby tigers. Yes. See, see, here's the thing about Peta. It like they, they do think like I'm not. I don't
5: have anything against animals, you know. Obviously, I I think it's it's they should be treated humanely, but like. Peta makes me want to do things to like <laughs> annoy them, you know. <laughs> Not that I would hurt an animal, but I mean, I want to annoy Peta. Well, it's like Go the eat time
8: stake it outside their offices.
3: Like it's like the time I had uh, soy cheese,
8: and Ooh. my stomach
3: was so rebellious. I went and ate a bunch of bacon that night <laughs> just to prove your point. Well, just because I was like, I need to restore some sort of you know sense of balance. Was to that my the day stomach. that we
4: went to the vegan restaurant? Yeah, for- it was.
3: We went to the vegan restaurant, and I had a, I had a vegan pizza. And the soy cheese did not sit well. <laughs> I came back. He was sucking on jerky. <laughs> or was that when we had that caffeinated jerky? Oh, no.
8: caffeinated that really—that really helped
4: through some print days. Yeah, <laughs> we were super efficient. We're trying to figure out efficiency things. We just need to stock the office that full stuff of was
7: caffeinated jerky. too. Yeah. this Ugh. is a perfect transition. Not the uh, not the food that you're talking about, but animal cruelty. Uh, to my slice. I don't know if you heard about this, but a SeaWorld trainer was, uh, yeah, was killed on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and I think it brings up an interesting point. I, I think there's obviously a lot of, of people that have a lot of different opinions about a place like SeaWorld. But I think one of the things that I am just reminded by with this trainer being killed by a killer whale.
4: It was in the Shamu show? Yeah.
7: Yeah. Uh, is is like, it's pretty obvious when you live in Orlando, like we do, we've got all these theme parks and, you know, SeaWorld obviously has lots of animals and they try to take care of them and do well. But is it, is it still a little funny in the 21st century to, to build tanks, to put killer whales in for people to show up and, and point at? Like, does it feel a little archaic? I think when I, when I heard about this, I thought it, for some reason, it struck me as kind of archaic that that we have things like SeaWorld. But I'm not I hate I'm I don't want to say I hate animals. I'm I'm not a fan of <laughs> Let me let me animals. preface this by saying I hate animals. <laughs> I hate people, really. Um so so I'm not I'm not it's just living things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not like a huge animal advocate, but I think all of a sudden SeaWorld felt like an archaic Think like a 15th like, century like a freak idea. Show, yeah. With- yeah. It, it just felt a
3: little funny to me. So, I mean, it's even like the Siegfried and Roy thing. Like,
7: yeah, we, it's, it's I mean so-
8: we
3: take stuff out of nature and then expect it to But they they nurture it.
5: <laughs> well, it's like, like that Chris Rock and, uh, you know, joke where he's where they're like, Man, that Siegfried and Roy the tiger went crazy. And he's like, It didn't go crazy, it went tiger.
4: You know? <laughs> yeah I mean it's a wild animal. And have your tiger spade that- or Tiger Woods's defense? <laughs> yeah. I, <think> so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that'll do it for slices, right? Yeah. Okay, coming up next, writer, director, producer Jeb Stewart. you're listening to Ives the band song is the Joker is playing right now on relevant.fm. If you haven't tuned in yet, um, please do check it out. It's uh, a great playlist. If we do say so ourselves, you will hear Chad Michael Snavely's dulcimer tones talking to you throughout the day. (laughs) It's a great, it's a great soundtrack to work to, uh, by the way. And if you're on a Mac, you can download a neat little uh, Mac desktop application a little widget to put there in your dock, and you can, uh, you don't have to go on the website and all that every time. All these words you're using are just like if someone landed
7: <laughs> on our planet, And <laughs> dulcimer he, and widget. Well, no, and max and docks, and <laughs>
4: just, it just sounds like another life form. Or your, or your grandma accidentally overhears. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jeb Stewart is most recognized for writing and producing probably two films that everybody knows uh, The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford, and Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis. Um, His most recent one is Blood Done Sign My Name, which centers on the true story of a civil rights event in North Carolina from 1970, and Pastor Vernon Tyson, who's trying to racially integrate a North Carolina community despite tremendous racial adversity. Pastor Tyson's efforts are strongly challenged after the murder of a young African-American Vietnam veteran and the aftermath and the eventual acquittal of the accused by an all-white jury in spite of multiple eyewitnesses to the murder. True story. The movie is based on the book with the same name, written by Pastor Vernon Tyson's son, Tim Tyson. The film was just released February nineteenth in thirty markets on opening weekend and is rolling out nationwide. Definitely seek it out if you can. Josh Loveless spoke to him uh, this week. Uh, it's obviously
7: Black History Month, and uh, and this is the time. Uh, this is the one month out of the year where people uh, talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, but anyway, I, I think uh, I think one of the interesting things and approaches that Jeb and his team. Uh, took on this film is they specifically decided going into the small town in North Carolina where they shot the film that they wanted to partner with the community. Mm. And, uh, and so instead of just kind of coming in with a huge footprint of 150 people, cast and crew, and, uh, you know, helping the local economy by just going and eating at restaurants, they really decided that, you know, they wanted to hire local people and uh, on top of that, they wanted to to partner and, and give back to the community and so they they worked really hard about
4: that in the interview he he describes a little bit about what they did so it was really really cool that's amazing here is part of Josh's conversation with Jeb Stewart
2: name my
7: Uh, Jeb, uh, you directed, produced, and wrote the screenplay for this film. Why did this real life story pull you all the way in?
6: Well, Blood Done Sign My Name, which was based on a a nonfiction book by Tim Tyson, uh, appealed to me on a couple levels. One. It was a story of the South that resonated with me, because I felt like there were lots of elements, both of the Civil Rights Movement and of my personal life, that he touched on. Um, For for instance, uh, Tim Tyson was the son of uh, a white Methodist minister in North Carolina in 1970, and I was the son of a white Presbyterian minister in another part of North Carolina at the same time. Um, When I read Tim's book, which really talks about the challenges that his father had in terms of dealing with... uh, uh, elements of race and in and more specifically around a, a particular incident that happened in his town and I went to my father and asked what his recollections were during that period of time in terms of his his career in the ministry and I remember my father saying it was probably the most difficult time in his career to balance between being uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better description, priest and a prophet. Priest being, you know, the 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 the, the kindly figure that marries you and buries you and 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 um, and and tells you the things that you know a congregation wants to hear, and then the prophet, which pushes the congregation to do and challenges them to. You know, other aspects of uh, of, of their faith. Yeah. and I, I was really drawn into that because I was probably twelve or fourteen when the incident when the murder took place of Dicky Mara, which the book revolves around. And um, and I guess I was growing up in this wonderful, pristine environment where, you know, my father was one of the one of the more, respected members of the community and had a tremendous amount of, uh, of influence in the community. And and at the same time, I never, ever envisioned my father being in a crucible uh, that he was. And uh, and after reading Tim's book, I really could understand better what a lot of the clergy in the South were going through at that particular time.
7: Hmm. For those who aren't familiar with your movie, it's, it's obviously a true story of a black Vietnam vet who's murdered in North Carolina in 1970. By a middle-aged white business owner and his sons, and it follows several different characters as they react to the news that an all-white jury declares the white man not guilty. Did you, Jeb, feel any added pressure when you took this project on because you yourself were a middle-aged white man?
6: Uh, I, I, I did. I mean, <laughs> I have to remember. I have to uh, remind myself there was a there was a period in the movie where we were shooting a uh, a riot scene um, in in the uh, in the book and in the movie uh, a lot of the black youth rebel uh, at some of the injustices going on and they, and they do have a riot hmm. and uh, one scene in the movie which mirrors the, the true life events they throw ropes around the confederate statue in the town and, and, and try to topple it and I can remember during a, a break in the shooting I said at the base of the statue and I thought about my confederate grandfather was probably rolling in his grave somewhere You know, yeah. the thought that his grandson was sitting there orchestrating this I, uh, I felt that there were a lot of challenges uh, in terms of that, but I felt that what Tim's book did a brilliant job of, of and, and I hope the movie accomplishes it too, it's not uh, you know, an apology for white sins by any means. It is, it is really a sort of reexamination of, of uh, you know, for me, uh, and it was for me, of, of my approach toward race now as opposed to looking back on it at that particular point. One of the
7: more striking things that this movie triggered in me is that this real-life story only happened 40 years ago. Though it doesn't feel like a long time ago, have we come a long way when it comes to equality, or do we have a long way to go?
6: Boy, I I think the answer is yes to both. Uh, Yes, we have come a long way. You uh, you, You cannot convince me that... That the you know incidents like in Blood Done Sign My Name or in any little town throughout the South of the United States have not progressed us to a point where we can elect an African American president of the United States. However, I, I, it does not take uh, you know far to look to find just. Daily incidents of, uh, of of racial discrimination uh, in my business alone, and I'm you know, uh, blood was a uh, a wonderful labor of love. I've I've made a, uh, a career out of doing action and thrillers, and and if you tried to get an African American to star in one of those, I mean, you would have you you would have actors lined up around the block. Hollywood will not cast an African American as a star because they. Perceive that a black man cannot open that movie and open in in Hollywood parlance means you know have people come to the box office on the day it opens uh, for an African American, Mm. unless it's Denzel Washington or Will Smith. Yeah, so there's a lot of room left in you know a lot of businesses, and mine being one of them, where uh, it's easier to become president of the United States than to Mm. open a Hollywood action movie.
7: You, you pointed to a little bit about your history and your past with uh, with action films. You obviously contributed to the screenplays uh, with Die Hard and The Fugitive. Obviously, those are heroic films. Did, was there a her, heroic draw to the storyline and premise of this as well, or, or did it just feel like a completely different experience?
6: No, I, I, I think I'm naturally drawn to bringing out heroes in, in, in a story, and, and there were a lot that I felt like it mirrored what Martin Luther King said, you know, in a letter from Birmingham jail, someday we will tell the stories of, of the real heroes of the South and the movement. And, and I hope in some ways that blood is sort of a a step along those uh, in that direction. You know, the stories of not only Vernon Tyson, the minister, but Ben Chavis, uh, who, who, when he led his kids out of the school to march and protest, you know, he lost a job, but he found a vocation. He became one of the great advocates of... You know, uh, of not just civil rights, but of human rights. At that point, yeah. Eddie McCoy, a, a, you know, a, a young uh, veteran who led some of the bombers in in Oxford, North Carolina, went on to become the uh, you know first elected African American official in Granville County since Reconstruction. And Golden Franks, who I kind of you know make a, a point of in the movie. Uh, You know, he was a major figure in the civil rights movement. I never heard of him, and he was a North Carolinian. So Mm. these are the heroes that I'm sort of celebrating in this movie.
7: You shot this movie in a small town in North Carolina, and and I found it fascinating that you did some creative things to bridge the gap between uh, the film and its crew and the community of people that lived in that specific town. Can you explain a little bit about what you did and and why you did
6: what you did? Well, one of the things, when I was shooting my... my, The first movie I directed was a movie um, with Danny Glover and Dennis Quaid, and I remember we were going out, Danny said to me, um, uh... Why don't we have a more diverse crew? Huh. And I can I can remember thinking, well, I never thought about that. Sure. I just went out and got the people that I you know wanted to work with. And he said, Well, it means a lot. And it, it, you know, as a director, you're a leader, hmm. and by being a leader, you have the opportunity to, to find great people and and you know people of color as well. And I thought about that. It kind of haunted me through this whole thing. One of the big goals that I told you know my group was that I was looking for the best people, but I also needed people who would resonate within the communities we were shooting in some very economically depressed neighborhoods. And, um, for example, David Parker, my phenomenal sound mixer who was on the team that won the Oscar for Dreamgirls, is an African-American and one of the top sound mixers in Hollywood. And I said, Dave, anybody who comes to your cart and wants to know what job you have, put a set of headphones on him. Let him listen to how sound... Uh, and sound recording you know is one of the chief elements of a movie mm. and literally I would look over there every day and there would be kids sitting around his cart with headphones on this was you know for a lot of these children they'd never seen a movie company come to town and and, and a movie company has 150 plus employees at all times yeah. you have to feed people and transport people I can't tell you what an impression that made on um, on local children. It was just, it was great, and for me, it, that was part of the movie.
7: But why did you go that direction? I mean, you you could have shown up and shot your film as as I'm sure you and many many others have done for for ages. When it comes to showing up in a town and shooting a movie, why why, why was that a value for you?
6: Well, we're a very intrusive force. When a movie company comes to town, it it, it it, it invades the town. It's like a small army. And I tell my crew that we have to be real, you know, we, we're we telling a story and we have to be good stewards of that story. Hmm. It, one of the worst things that we could have done is come in and, and been insensitive to... Um, you know, say the black community. When we're shooting a story which dealt with civil rights, um, I wanted the crew to be uh, completely aware of what we were doing, and, and and that's that's tough. With a Hollywood crew, it's like a it's like a pirate ship sometimes. And and at the same time, my crew was very sensitive to it, and uh, and, and I wanted kids, especially, and well, primarily the children. I wanted them to be exposed to new vocations that, that, that may be available to them. North Carolina has a very expanding, you know, movie uh, culture and a, uh, and a lot of opportunities for folks, and, and yet if you don't see it and if you can't ask questions, you can't really get exposed to it.
7: One of the things uh, that's interesting about the film is that it's it's obviously adapted from a book. Do do you read books specifically to to be inspired by something to to shoot and maybe film uh, and write a screenplay for later, or, or do you are you able to read for for fun?
6: Oh, that that's a really good question. You know, I read so much um, uh, fiction in my work. You know, I'm sent novels and things like that that I, I when I do read for fun I, I, I tend to read nonfiction. you know I, I, I love history and biography and I love um, you know finance books and things like that um, uh, but I, I rarely will go and pick up the latest novel anymore because I, I just read I, you know I, I live in the fiction world I, sure. I, I love to escape from my own pleasure and other things
7: how did you decide with this piece uh, what cinematic qualities that you want to keep from the book and what fictional elements that you want to add to make it compelling for film?
6: That's a really good question. I, um, you know, Tim's book is a memoir surrounded by a, a, just a terrific treatise on race and civil rights, and and um, and because it's you know it's not a strict narrative, I had to kind of um, take events from other areas and and and. Sort of weave them into the tapestry of a narrative. I, I, I came from a sort of the background in movies where if you have five wonderful scenes, five scenes that you, you know, can't get out of your head when you leave the theater, that you've left the audience with a with a good piece of entertainment. Hmm. And I, so, what I tried to do was to think of the five scenes from the book um, and and build the story around that. I mean, you know, one of my favorites is the scene. There's a scene in the movie where. Young Tim has been involved in a minor racial scuffle, and his father, instead of punishing him, tells him he's going to take him for a trip. And and for me, he takes him out for a picnic with his older brother, and they have a great time, but he knows his father's going to come down on him at some point. And as they're relaxing, he says, you know, when are you going to talk to me? And his father says, I'm not. I'm going to show you something. And he takes him to the top of a hill just as the sun's going down, and he shows him what looks like a picnic of... Of, of A lot of white families, they're, they're folding picnic blankets, and kids are playing tag, and the fireflies are out. And then some men erect a cross in the field, and Tim immediately sees the cross and says, you know, it's a revival. And his father says, no, it's not. And, it, of course, as the evening progresses, he rapidly finds that it's actually a Klan rally, and that they set the cross on fire. And later in the car going home, you know, Tim says, you know, I saw the cross, I thought everything was good and 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 the lesson that his father wants to teach him comes through on that point you know uh, that 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 evil sometimes hides in 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 ordinary things hmm. and for me that was you know i've gotten a lot of emails from people who've seen the movie because it, it's a it's a it's a scene that people are having difficulty getting out of their heads and that's i, I feel if you can put five of those type of scenes in a movie you've 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 got um, a good start to a movie
4: That was Jeb Stewart. Uh, check out Blood Done Sign My Name, uh, rolling out nationwide. Uh, should be in a theater near you.
5: None of it was ever worth the risk. Well, you are the only exception. You are the only exception.
4: You're listening to Paramore. This song is the only exception. It is playing right now on Relevant TV. You can watch the video there. It's from their new album, Brand New Eyes. They're on tour in the U.S. starting at the end of April. Check them out at paramore.net. Okay, it's time for your feedback. All right, well, as you know, here on the podcast, we bring you uh, deep, interesting, substantive conversations like we just had with uh, Jeb Stewart. And we also bring you breaking news and pivotal things for us to contemplate like the fact that the situation has its own cologne and on last week's podcast we asked you we talked about the cologne and we asked you if there was any celebrity that should have their own cologne if there's any celebrity you wanted to smell like who would it be Mm. what would the name of the cologne be and what would it smell like Mm -hmm. You went over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com and posted your replies there. And a few of you tried to call into our podcast hotline and let us know that the line was down. It was um, cold. We have now fixed the podcast hotline. That's good. <laughs> and, uh, Just next, in time. <laughs> next week, you will be able to call in and, and give us your feedback. So anyway, here are some of your replies to what celebrity you want to smell like. Uh,
7: a couple of my favorites uh, came from Zach Harper. Uh, he uh, proposed a cologne called La Bouffe. <laughs> but listen, it's from Shy LaBouffe, and it's a scent that's supposed to make you smell manly, but ultimately doesn't work because people still think you look like you're 16. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and uh, so, everybody who, who uses axe. Yeah, it's the, <laughs>
7: very similar. Yeah. Uh, and then he suggested uh, cologne from Marky Mark. Uh, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg scent of sweat and testosterone it causes Donnie Wahlberg to show up at your house asking for some cash <laughs> <laughs> after of which he'll ask if you uh, w- what you're doing and if you want to hang out
3: can I, can I just say that I think the Mark Wahlberg cologne would smell like a funky bunch of flowers oh, oh. Thank you, you can oh, say that help. and you did say that
5: well Chad B said that he wanted a fragrance named after or uh, scented after Jean-Claude Van Damme mm. and the cologne would be called an uppercut <laughs> it would not uppercut. it would also not like an uppercut it would knock you off your feet <laughs> um, that's because it's mostly uh
4: van damme sweat and blood so
6: oh,
4: um, wow oh wow he's not expecting to sell many of them i hope mm. jesse i don't know if you saw
7: but uh stephen parks uh gave you a little shout out uh on the episode page he said just to make jesse's day i'd make a stephen seagal cologne it would smell of a sweaty Zen master. And if you approached the box co- incorrectly, it could snap your arm.
8: <laughs> and he said
7: the bottle would be in the shape of a huge kitchen knife, homage to under siege. And it would be simply called retribution with the option of remarketing it to the hip hop audience under the name, say what? I, I think that has a future. I think your game is catching up. We didn't play it today, but uh, man, I, I feel like the heat is, uh, is building across the country. True. <laughs> oh yeah, it's week. it's it's a buzz right now. The nation is a buzz. So. I'm,
3: I gotta say, I'm a little disturbed how many listeners want to smell like someone has sweat.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say at least half of these like, have to do with it's, the celebrities. It's like sweat. W-
3: maybe we're maybe we're missing this market of twelve year old boys who just smell like sweat all the time.
5: I, I, I like Dan's. He said that he wants a Morgan Freeman cologne, and he, he doesn't mention anything about the scent or the theme. He only wants the uh, Morgan Freeman cologne because he wants a Morgan Freeman voiceover commercial. <laughs>
8: Uh, when I was in middle school, I really, really, really wanted the Debbie Gibson perfume. Never got it.
3: I remember using Brute aftershave briefly. Yeah, for a period of time. You can still use it, I think. Oh, it made me made me feel like a man. You at the grocery store, I was going
5: to say you, you you went through puberty instantly.
7: <laughs> it's true. It's like whoa!
5: I suddenly have armpit hair. Uh, thanks, I- Brute.
7: I got Stetson Cologne one year for nice. Christmas and I was like I felt like the man from Snowy River I don't know if you guys ever saw yeah. that movie back in the day but I just I felt like a man right and and I think like two years later I w- was was buying gas at a gas station and there at the counter point of purchase sale Stetson Cologne and I'm like <laughs> wow I think my parents got this at a gas station <laughs> on, on Christmas <laughs> day on Christmas oh, day I gotta get Josh something. yeah I thought it was expensive but it wasn't <laughs>
5: Yeah. Well, for for some reason, whenever I picture a guy wearing Stetson, like I pictured you in a flannel shirt, like on the side of a desert road pumping gas. So. Yeah, it
7: was weird because I wasn't riding my horse that day. I was actually <laughs> putting gas into my truck. But
5: Yeah, into your old Ford pickup. Yeah, you can picture it now. With a gun rack.
4: Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if you want to join that conversation, you can head over <laughs> to that podcast episode page. Uh, now it's time for this week's Editorial Question of the Week.
1: Editorial Question of the
4: Week. Hey! All right. Well, as many of you know, we are on week two and a half or two-ish of Lent. Uh, the It depends on which uh, calendar you're using, 40 straight days, or the Lenten calendar, which is 46 days because you get six feast days. Right. Um, but anyway, you're, you're a third of the way through, and a lot of you, even though um, maybe a lot of you aren't liturgical or part of that uh, line of denominations. A lot of a lot of people are uh, observing it this year. There are organizations like Bloodwater Mission who are challenging people to 40 days of water only and things like that. Um, and so we wanted to know what you're doing for Lent, if anything, and how it's going because it's easy to talk the talk at the beginning, but now you're third of the way through and just curious how, how it's going. You gave up your diet, Snapple. This is a personal question. Yeah, I gave up all liquids but water. I'm doing the water thing. I actually announced it via Twitter that I was going to do that. And then all these organizations hit me up going, <laughs> which organization are you doing it with? And I'm like, I'm doing it for Jesus. Leave me alone.
6: <laughs> but,
4: <laughs> I realized that I I had a caffeine addiction. I mean, I was downing a gallon of Diet Coke a day and yeah. diet apples and coffee. And I just thought, I don't want to have anything with a grip on me and... Fasting in unison with other people in this season is is good. Have you found any new
7: addictions uh, like emerging as a result of losing your caffeine addiction? Like, are you gambling a lot or using <laughs> heroin, Co- cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, just um, cocaine? Yeah, no,
4: no, it's it's been tough though. Been, I mean, we're as we're recording this, we're a little more than a weekend. I, I I've had like a nonstop caffeine headache. Yeah, but that's, I guess yeah, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, I gave up caf- coffee last year,
3: and it was just like. Those first two weeks, it was just like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, I mean, I can imagine people who are truly, truly fasting, I mean, for 40 days. Right. I've, I've done a 40-day fast before, but it was a long time ago, and it was miserable, yeah. you know. But, you know, the thing about in Lent, I mean, doing it in unison with other people, I mean, there's strength in numbers sometimes. and or support. you just yeah. suffer together. <laughs> you all just get really angry and <laughs> mean together. Are any of you guys doing anything for Lent?
8: I gave up diet soda to be with you. But I'm having teas and stuff like that. You're
4: having regular soda? <laughs>
8: yeah, I have regular
4: soda. <laughs> you get to experience flavor. <laughs> yeah.
7: I, uh, I gave up Lent in general. I usually participate <laughs> and this year... Uh, this year I'm not. So that's, that's
3: what I decided to do. I decided to give up um, an hour of noise every day. So... Is that why you tell me to shut up at a certain point every day? (laughs) Yeah, no. Is that when you're sleeping? No radio, no TV. Yeah, no radio, no TV, no iPod. Is that when you're asleep? No internet. No, no. (laughs) no. It is is like, I mean, because I try to intentionally spend a lot more time reading the Bible and praying, and... (laughs) <laughs> it is embarrassingly uncanny how often I'll fall asleep when I'm trying to pray. <laughs> it's so. too quiet. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. And I'm well, then like, you
4: need to read the Bible and pray with a little background noise and then just do the quiet part some other time. <sighs> <laughs> it's like i mean
3: it's only an hour and at first i was like oh that won't be that hard it is hard to carve an hour yeah. out where you
4: intentionally set everything aside
3: yeah. like,
8: man i should have done 15 minutes so,
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah we want to hear what you're doing go over to relevant com, click on the podcast center or the podcast episode page right there in the comments tell us or call in to our podcast hotline which has been resurrected it is 407-660-1411. Extension is 126. And you can leave your message there. And we'll play a couple next week on the podcast. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition. Many thanks to the Bowerbirds uh, for talking to us. You can check them out at bowerbirds.org. That's B-O-W-E-R birds.org. Or myspace.com slash Bowerbirds. And thanks to Jeb Stewart. And check out Blood Done Sign My Name. It's an amazing story. Um, very poignant and challenging uh, check that out. It's in limited release now. Should be rolling out to a city near you uh, very soon. Well, that'll do it. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Ryan Ham. I'm Maya Ham. I'm Josh Lovelace, <laughs> and I'm Jesse Carey. On behalf of Chad Michael Snavely, we'll see you next week.
0: thanks for listening to the relevant podcast for more go to relevantmagazine.com man have been waiting all night that's how long i've been on ya.
5: Is, is PETA aware that Tiger Woods is not an actual tiger?